Hi, it's Maddie, host of Access Podcast. Welcome to the show. And I'd like to just congratulate you, Producer Z. Why is that? Because you booked uh, probably the biggest guests in the history of our show. Senator Lindsey Graham is coming I on. I know. How did I get it? <laughs> no. All right, no. It's Lindsey Graham. Different Lindsey Graham's with an A. The host of American Tellers. I love history. If you like history and want to geek out with another person that likes history, then check this show out today. During the Second World War, the United States, the UK, and the Soviet Union came together in a grand alliance to defeat Germany and Japan. But within two years of that peace, the West would be locked in a conflict with the Soviet Union that threatened to destroy the entire world. This was the Cold War. Now, Lindsay, can I just say that I take a lot of pride in, in show prep. I was an executive producer for a lot of talk shows um, across the country. It's something I pride myself in. Do you know how hard it is to prep for a guest whose name is the same as a famous senator and is so, like, it's not a common name as well? You're, you're like, impossible to find information on, sir. Uh, yes. Uh, Google and I have an arrangement uh, that, that secures my privacy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. Uh, the, my SEO uh, options are really low. Have you ever thought of just saying, I'm going to change my name to Larry? No, because Larry's a horrible name. <laughs> I agree with you on that. Sorry, Larry's out there. Love you as listeners, but uh, your name is not. You don't hear. That's like one of those names like you just don't hear anymore. Or Barry. Nobody's named Barry anymore either. Oh, or, or Harold or, or Franklin. Or all these great old-timey names. Mid-century names, yeah. Yeah, like Maud. I love Maud. Anyway, Mr. Graham, uh, so I'm interested to learn about you because, I, I, I mean, I literally went LinkedIn. I, I mean, I, I found Lindsey Graham's, but I don't think any of them were you. I tried Twitter, Facebook. Okay. Uh, my producer, I yelled at her this morning because I was like, you can't find anything. And meanwhile, I didn't find anything either. So I didn't I didn't really yell at her. She's back there. But right. but tell me about you because, you know, this podcast is for me. I'm a history like fanatic. I spend at least an hour a day reading something historical. I watched the History Channel. I studied it in college. So what is your background and you know the, you know to get into this uh, hosting this wonderful historical podcast? Um well, my background is largely in audio. That's you know how I got here. So I've owned a little recording studio. I've uh, uh, produced music and composed music uh, for years and years and years. Uh, but then we got into audiobooks and and then podcasts. Uh, and that's how I met Hernan from the Wondering Network. Um, they put out our my first podcast, which is a, a fictional show called Terms. And Terms kind of gets more to the center of this question because I've always been a historical and political creature. Those are my interests. And, uh, and so we created a podcast that kind of f features that as a central theme. Um, I've also taught history. I was a history major before as I, I was a psychology major before I was a business major. Um, and um, yeah, it's just always been a passion. And so to be able to combine uh, my love of being a studio rat and also teaching and learning about history, it, it's fantastic. This podcast, like most of the podcasts that uh, I'd say all the podcasts that Wandering puts out, it's just, it's produced so well. And, you know, I feel that it's part of this new wave of podcasting that is, you know, it's where podcasting is going, you know, really well produced and really informative. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that podcasts, you know, when they're done right, they they create empathy and then they 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 take you to a place, the same place that you go when you read a book, you know, that that little personal spot between you and the, and the content. And 
and I feel like there's might be hope for the new generation uh, because I teach a, I teach at a university and I feel like their knowledge of history is really bad. And do you look yeah. at so do you look at this podcast as, as a way of 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 making uh, history more accessible to uh, some folks and maybe maybe a book isn't their friend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's just a a, a fact of the universe that that we ha- are a screen culture now, and. Um, that takes up time and, and just also develops a different taste for, for media. Podcasts, I, I think, are, are as you indicate, a, a kind of a bridge to a previous more um, solitary but still very connected uh, method of, of consuming information. And, um, and developing empathy, I think it would be our number one goal. You have, if to understand and appreciate history, it, it, it's certainly not dates and facts. It's, it's people. You know, the whole enterprise here is, is trying to investigate what it was like to live in this time and what it means for, for you to be living in the time we're in. Uh, so if we, if we can communicate empathy, I would say that, that, that we've done our job really well. Uh, and I'll say this, it also, your podcast helped me tap into memories. Uh, I, I, well, while I'm teaching, I will often make references to my college students and realize they don't know what that means. They don't know what it is to call someone and get a busy signal. They don't know what it's like to right. wait at home for the phone to ring. And they don't know what it was like to be deathly afraid that the Soviet Union was going to nuke our asses. And and as a kid, that was my biggest fear. I mean, it was a huge fear. And I and and it's just even today, like when we talk about the nuclear threat coming from from North Korea, I kind of forget, and I think a lot of people forget, like that was a real fear that we all had for a long time. Yeah, uh, absolutely real. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to do the Cold War first as our first little series. Um, these are these feelings, these fears, these aspirations. Uh, they're they're largely forgotten. Um, we lived in a time that was strange and and violent and um, just on the precipice of destruction for decades. And um, that's gone away, thankfully. But uh, today's headlines, you cannot you you can't draw you know not draw a parallel between what's going on today and then. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost the, the worst sort of nostalgia for us 40, 50-year-olds who grew up uh, in the 80s. I just wonder, you know, what if, what if Kennedy tweeted some of the stuff that our president tweets during the Cuban Missile Crisis? <laughs> you know, just right. Yeah, there's all these like, wow, I look at history. But, and I think, well, nobody in the past would have done these kind of things. But I don't know that. I don't know if they would have if they had access to Twitter, if if they would have you know made, been more provocative than than they seem to me looking at them in history books. No, I, well, yeah, I think you're right. I don't know if Kennedy would have uh, you know t- <laughs> yeah, right. tweeted. I mean, I think I think he was a statesman and 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 um, uh, and careful and certainly media savvy. So um, yeah, no, I was thinking you know even the. the there's certainly some firebrands, uh, you know, that, that probably would have leapt onto Twitter. I mean, can you imagine the segregation now, segregation forever tweet? It would have happened, um, you know, and, and, and periscoping or, or, or live coverage of, of the uh, Little Rock Nine. Um, yeah, it would have been a completely different time. But your question brings up a, a central issue of the study of history, I think. It's that... Um, that these are people 
And as as thinking, feeling, consuming, living you know, things, they haven't really changed much in the 50 years. Certainly the dressing and the circumstances and the filigree about us. But that's just history is just a bunch of people making a bunch of decisions in order. Do you feel that in, to, in today's climate, there is enough focus on what happened in the past? And I don't like to... I think that this comparison is made way too much, and I'm not making this a, this this is a comparison. But w- when we look at you know when we look at a president or somebody who is trying to have people dismiss the media, you know, and then you look, right? Um, you know, and I and I hate to I hate the comparison, but I'm a big big studier of of early ger- you know uh, German history early before you know in the 30s before World War II, and you do see a lot of yeah. these kind of parallels as far as what a despot does. Yeah, I. I would say that one of the most disappointing aspects of our modern age for me is the um, the way that we have turned people doing jobs into these monolithic ideas of conspiracy and um, and uh, uh, opponents. You know, it's no longer that you're a, a person who voted for Obama. You're a you're a libtard. Right. Yeah. Or, or yeah. It's, it's not you didn't vote for for Bush. You know, I mean, or, or, or Trump. You're you're someone you're deplorable to... if you voted for Trump. Yeah. 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 That polarization. Um, I think the rise of conspiracy theory, I think the rise of our, the rancor in our, our discourse, it can can all be boiled down to, well, a lack of empathy for the other person and uh, historical study is one way of, of breaking through that to, to realize that, uh, you know, I, I put on my pants one leg at a time, uh, just if I'm a Republican or a Democrat, they might be different colors. Um, but you know, um, I haven't really watched it, uh, but I've seen previews of Sarah Silverman's show mm-hmm. and, you know, here's a Hollywood liberal comedian and she's doing a really good job of just showing up in places where, she should not be showing up and having conversations. Um, and uh, I think we should all do more of that. Uh, if, if there's a, if there's a, mo- a climate, uh, a portion of our pop political climate, it's just that, that we're not listening to each other. I grew up in West Virginia and I, I go back to visit and, you know, and, and, you know, living in California, you know, the immediately, uh, you know, their rancor goes up as far as like, oh, you turned into this and this and this. And mine does, too. When I go home, I think, well, well, what are you people doing here? <laughs> what, are, right. what are you doing to my country? And that fades away after about 10 minutes, you know, because yep. then we start talking right. and it's like, no, I'm still Maddie from from Romney. I'm just the same kid. Uh-huh. Might have different political views than I used to. But, you know, things are things are, are the same. And I think that that dialogue is super important. There's a show that I really enjoy. On, on Comedy Central called Drunk History. I don't know if you're familiar yes, with right. it. I do love this show because I love history and listening to drunk people tell it is really good. But one of the things that I you know, always take away from it is, you know, here's another way of making this history accessible to folks in a different way. And, and it brought up when you were talking about conspiracies, one of the episodes was about Roswell. And that right. if you study history, you know that it was a satellite. You know, it was a weather balloon. You know, it was, you know, the government admitted, hey, yeah, we didn't want to tell anybody and we thought it'd be easier. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know how many people don't realize that? 
you know, who don't even know that that was, you know, they, they never get past the, the conspiracy theory. It, and it's so much more fun to believe a conspiracy theory than to, to actually, like, do the homework and find out what really happened. Well, it's also psychologically more fulfilling. You know, there's there's all sorts of studies of, of, of why conspiracy theories and, and this sort of uh, crooked thinking exists. And um, I, I think it's just a shame because, one— it's misinformation. You're living. I mean, people are dedicating their lives to to chasing down just an absolute fantasy, uh, when there's real, simple explanations that uh, that you can just say, "Oh, okay," and then and then go on with your life. Um, but two, it it blocks you from from participating in any sort of further investigation of the world of facts. You lose the vocabulary of thinking that, you know, um, there are basic facts of the universe that you need to discover and accept, and uh, there are extrapolations, but you're not certain about those, and, and that's okay. You know, this, this idea of, of, of certainty, both in history and politics and, and rhetoric, uh, I think is dangerous. And um, uh, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of stopping and thinking about the basic principles of things like would this really happen? You know, what is it possible that forty thousand government employees could be in on a secret? Um, yeah. No, it's that, it's unlikely. Yeah. I was on vacation recently, and I was uh, sitting at a sushi bar. The group of people next to me were talking about how they all agreed that there was a conspiracy theory behind nine eleven. Now, I was in New York on nine eleven. I lived in New York City, so. My my back. I mean, just I my rankled up, and I so badly wanted to just like just just educate them on how stupid they were and how dumb that was. Yeah, I didn't. My wife was like, "Just right. let it go, let it go, let it go." But but it is. But it was just. But the it was the thing that bothered me the most was just the level of like, well, sure, of course, you know. Yeah. And then they started so, quoting things they'd seen on Twitter, and I'm like, "This is real. This is a real. You're really sitting here having this conversation." I was actually, uh, I was in Sydney, Australia on that day. Uh, we woke up to a phone call, you know, told us to get up and turn on the TV. And pretty much the entire day had happened while we were asleep. And um, I was actually flying out from Melbourne to Sydney. Uh, so it was very, very strange to be milling about as, a, as a, a, an, uh, an American traveling alone in Australia. The, the Australians were amazing. But the, it happened immediately. Um, of course, everyone was talking about that event, but you you could not run into people who had already developed the the theory of everything <laughs> on this that it was, and they were talking out loud and so assuredly about their theories on what happened uh, mere hours after you know wow. the towers fell, um, and I felt the same sort of rage. I was you know uh, an American abroad and uh, and and deeply homesick that day. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just, I don't know how to confront that. Um, you, yeah, I don't know. You know, one of my favorite things about history is, and this is a podcast I've always wanted to do, is All right, the, what, the what ifs of history. Because right. as a, as someone you know who reads, I read a lot of, of of books and 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 you know there are so many things that could have changed based on a couple things like you know I, and I mean from big things like what if Hitler had not gone into Russia and what if Hitler had pressed on Dunkirk and what if what if the British had not come up with radar uh, right. you know all these like little things that you know especially like technology wise 
that that changed like World War II. I mean, I don't think people realize how many things that technology wise changed the course of that war more than anything else. Do you have these what ifs that that you like to think about? And is that something that, that you also, you know, spend your time with at all? Well, you know, I, I don't think about the what ifs, um, mainly because there's just so damn many of them. Uh, you know, like we, we can we can butterfly theory ourselves into a fantastic fictional world. Um, but it's it's the case that one single person uttering one sentence differently in one moment and the entire world as we know it would have changed. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I think it would, it's fun to speculate, but, um, but I don't spend a lot of time doing it because, um, I don't know where to start and, and there's so much there already to, to learn from. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, I think speculative fiction is, is, is just entertaining to think about the mechanics of, of these small changes that snowball into uh, you know an avalanche of history. What is your favorite genre of history to to study and, and to read up? I mean, I I kind of change around a lot. I've been I recently got into the Hundred Years' War, and I'm like really into that right now. But yeah. what is your? I bounce around too. I've you know I've had a deep fondness for for European history when I was uh, younger, and uh, and then uh, Russian history in in, in college. Um, I got to tell you though. Um, and, and this is really because of, of the recency effect. I, I just finished a, another podcast project that I hope to release in the spring. But uh, the, the Reconstruction period in America and the immediate aftermath of Abraham Lincoln's uh, death is fascinating. It put every American value to the test. It, uh, you know, this country was just wrung out and... Um, I'm I'm astounded that we recovered. I'm I'm saddened that that many things took as long as they did. But wow, what a what a fascinating period of history. Um, I don't really give much care to to study the Civil War itself. You know this battle and that battle and um, you know, but but the politics and the humanity that happened because of it uh, is just is just fascinating to me. You know, as somebody who's 44. I am just now coming to grips with I was given an education in the Civil War that uh, I, that stuck with me until recently, you know, because I grew up in my, my hometown switched hands 56 times during the war. And we okay. had the first Civil War monument was in my hometown. Uh, and it, yeah. on it, it, it says the War for States Rights. And I remember hearing that and the War of Northern Aggression and all kinds of things growing up. Like, I mean, slavery was never part of the education that I got about the war. It was always about Southern independence. And then the same thing with these Civil War monuments. What made me think of that was the Civil War monument uh, issue because, you know, I just grew up, you know, feeling like, of course, we have to idolize these guys. You know, they were great generals. And then and then when I found out more about, like, why they were put up and when they were put up these monuments and then, I you know, I, I start to question back like, oh, you know what? I've got things ingrained from in, in me from from childhood, and I think it's probably the same way, you know, to kind of tilt back towards, you know, the topic of, of the Cold War that – you know, I think as middle-aged adults now coping with growing up in that time, you know, we have maybe some ideas and beliefs that were so ingrained in us that, that we're just maybe haven't figured out yet. Well, I think that's the case for every generation. I mean, why, why does every generation as it, as it ages bemoan the next one? Oh, these youngsters, you know? It's because there's a set of values that you've grown up with and you carry with you and they change. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think the debate of Civil War monuments uh, is a real interesting one, because if you unpack it, there's, there's, there's questions of free speech, there's questions of history, there's questions of heritage that, that I don't think uh, shouldn't be cast aside uh, lightly. There's also questions of, of, of what it means to be insulted or, or patronized as an as a individual or, or even a, a, a social group. Um, and in, in order to come to, to a conclusion, I, I, I think any, any person who, who says, you know, I, I have a feeling about this hasn't done enough thinking because it's a deep and complicated issue, uh, just like the Civil War itself. Uh, and it was rooted in times well before us, and, and, and we're just, you know, swimming downstream of history. What were three, a couple things that really struck in you that you didn't know before you did this series on the Cold War? Because it's fascinating. And I think the thing I like the most about the podcast is, is what you kind of said earlier, is that you put people into the life of someone. You know, imagine that you are... Uh, you know, a, a professor and, you know, right. you've signed this one petition. And, and I was listening, I was, I was driving into work. I was listening uh, to the podcast and, and it, and it is, it's just like, Oh gosh, I never thought of that. You know, like you sign one petition, you could be, you know, you got, you got ostracized. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, what are some takeaways you had in doing the research for it? Well, you know, this, the, the newest episode is, is about um, literally the fallout of nuclear weapons testing. And, it was largely instructive to me. Uh, I, I don't think I knew much about the, uh, the, the science and the politics uh, and the messaging behind America's nuclear efforts after, you know, during the Cold War. You know, I knew about nuclear weapons and, and the, the, the arms limitation treaties, et cetera, and, you know, certainly all the summits that, that, that our leaders went to. But um, I had no idea the... the, the health and environmental damage we were inflicting on ourselves and others and how potent these weapons are in terms of their fallout. You know, I remember being frightened of radiation, but I, I never knew what it could do um, until, until you know, the, this, this series. And, and you know, the, it, it was so concerning for Americans uh, of, of a certain stripe that, that uh, housewives and pediatricians got together and uh, started asking for volunteers to donate their children's baby teeth so that it, those teeth could be ground up and searched for radioisotopes. And, and they found out. It's like, yep, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of radiation in America. Um, and, you know, of course, the, the, the government agencies at the time have, have their own marching orders to not only compete with the Soviets in, in a, a nasty geopolitical war, but, um, but to address the, this new technology and get a handle on it. And the different factions are very similar to today. Uh, you, can have, you had big, big atom, and we might have big oil today. <laughs> you know, uh, the people have been fighting for, for what they feel is right for forever. And, uh, but I had no idea that, that radiation was, was such a thing. Um, and I, I honestly, I would have been scared to death if I put my daughter's baby tooth in an envelope to ship off to to some testing laboratory. Um, it would, it, I'd, I'd be very frightened of the world if if I was living in that time. I have a, a silver cup that my my dad is an Air Force was an Air Force uh, pilot, and during the in the fifties, 
and he has a silver cup with a nuclear um, you know, mushroom cloud on it with his name on it and a date and an island because he was working on it. I guess, you know, he was, right. he was, he was helicopter pilot and running support for this. And just, and just, I always looked at that and go, look at the pride that they had in this explosion. You know, this, yeah. this thing that they put it on a silver cup and gave it to him as a memento. Yeah. Uh, another thing, another thing I learned was, you know, within just less than six months of, of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, um, you know, the American marketing, uh, not American government, but American private marketing firms just went atom mad. You could find, you know, the symbol of the atom or a mushroom cloud on anything you wanted. You know, get get your wife a nice crystal mushroom cloud brooch. Um, it was it was fantastic. Um, you know, the the you would think that such horror would. Uh, Give us a, more than a few months pause. This is fast. I, I I think I we could do an hour. I could talk about the history with you for for a long time, but I do want to you know we uh, as we wrap up we do a, a little segment on the show called Three Killer Questions. Okay. And I, so I have three questions for you, Lindsey Graham. Not that uh-huh. Lindsey Graham. No. Lindsey, impossible to find online. Graham. We'll talk about it, that. It is after spelled the show. with an A. Oh, so that's the difference. Yeah, that's the only difference between he, he and I. <laughs> and it still wants to autocorrect it on Google. Uh-huh, um, yeah. So here, here's the question. So the first, the first question I have for you is, if you could listen to a podcast featuring anyone from history, whose podcast would you want to listen to? Oh, what a good question. Um, my, my first immediate thought would be Mark Twain. How entertaining. I mean, uh, he, he has to have uh, just a hell of a show. And and would know how to use the medium. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a good good answer for that. This question, I'm asking this because I asked this question to my staff one day, and the answer that they gave me surprised me. Uh, but I'll ask you right now. Do you know what Dolly Madison's favorite ice cream was? <laughs> no, I do not. I would be guessing. What is Dolly Madison's favorite ice cream? It's oyster. It was oyster ice cream. That's Astounding. Well, here's the thing. I found that out, and I came to, into work one day, and I have a staff of 20-year-olds, and a lot of them were my students, and when they graduated, I hired them to come over to iHeart. And I'm like, yeah, do you guys know? And here's the answer I got. Who's Dolly Madison? Oh, right. Or, or you mean Dolly Madison, the porn star? <laughs> Not one of them knew Dolly Madison was. And I'm just, I'm looking at my producer right now. I'm, I'm, you did not know. Uh, whatever. My producer's claiming she knew. No, you did. None of them knew. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Um, and then the last question, real simple, Lindsay. Uh, what was the last podcast that you, that you binged? That I binged? Well, you know, I, I it probably was uh, Steal the Stars, hmm. a, a, an audio drama, and uh, really well done by, a, 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 I was about to say a close friend, a, a Twitter friend of mine, Mac Rogers. He, he wrote it. Yeah, it was it was good. I you know uh, I I like ca- seeing where the state of the art is in terms of uh, podcast audio dramas because uh, I think there's a, a you know very broad horizon for for that medium. I tell people all the time we're, we we haven't even scratched the surface of the kinds of podcasts that will be coming out in the future. You know that you know oh. there are so many different ways we can go with this, and it's so exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think we probably have enough Two Dudes Talking podcasts, so I'm glad this one's coming to an end. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited that, 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 that this, this is a, a, such a, a vibrant medium. 
Can I tell you the term I use in my class when I when I teach? I tell Go them ahead. the days of two guys sitting around telling dick jokes is over because that was the podcasting for a long time. It sure was. Well, I'm 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 glad that uh, you, you you came and did this two guys talking podcast, it, Lindsay. It's great, and I I I don't want to overstress this. I feel like these are important podcasts. These podcasts that that teach as well as entertain, and and again tap into that 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 psyche that that's you know that reading the book psyche is super important and you do a wonderful job i i, I can't tell you how how great i think the podcast is produced and sounds and the info is just it's solid dude good job well thank you very much and uh big props to my team at wondery who who really make this possible uh i'm i'm just tickled to to be doing this thanks Lindsay. thank you all right, see, I think he, I think that you will soon hear a podcast featuring Lindsey Graham and myself talking about historical moments that could have and almost happened. I think that's in the works. I think it could happen. I think it's a great idea. I think so too. I thought his enthusiasm for it was a little low, though. <laughs> but I think he's on board. I hope so, because I, I have tons of time to do like a, another podcast because I'm not doing fifty already. <laughs> uh, but there you go. That was fun. Uh, and I love history. I love history podcasts. There are a lot of great history podcasts out there. And I'm anxious to see which ones you, Producer Z, have picked out for us to talk about today. All right. Well, the first is from a network we really love. It's from How Stuff Works. Love it. Love it. And em. their show is Stuff You Missed in History Class. I love this podcast. Um, I have not always loved the hosts. They've switched hosts a couple times, mm-hmm. and uh, I like the current batch of hosts very much. Right. Um, but this is uh, this is definitely for the folks that like that slice of history that uh, is not common knowledge. Exactly. It's just a little out of the blue, something you never expected. It's nice. All right, let's check it out. The reason that I have always wanted to cover the Lumiere brothers is that they were really prolific inventors. And we're going to talk about the innovations in developing motion pictures, for which they are most well-known. I think if you ask most people, they can tell you that they were involved in early motion pictures. That is definitely in my queue already. So what's another one we got? This is from the BBC across the pond. Oh, it's British! Yes, it's all the way. (laughs) And it is called Witness, and the description of it is history as told by the people who were there, oh. which I think is super interesting to find people from the places that they're talking about. So it's like the first iPhone, Eisenhower's farewell address, stuff like that. So they find people that were living in those moments and get them on the podcast. I'm anxious to hear it. Let's check it out. We were taking over men's jobs for them to be released for the army. The women were on everything. You see, the men all went, so they were on the railways and munitions and land army and post. So we knew that we had to do those jobs. Once the men went, there was nobody else to do them. Everything sounds better with a British accent. Absolutely. By the way, I'm watching Victoria on public Ooh, t- on, on, yes. on, on PBS. Yeah. Very good. Really? I like it. Add it to the list. Yeah, if you liked um, D- uh, Downton Abbey, it's it's kind of it kind of fills that uh, void a okay. bit. It's is it, it fictional? No, it's it's historical, but I okay. mean, there's fictional characters right, added right, right. to it, but uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Plus, I just I just love hearing anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any British person says that. that I don't know. That's my <laughs> that's that's like my wife's thing. She'll just walk around and go. It's like a Mary Poppins thing. I think we got it from the Good Place. I think that was oh, a, 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 a great uh, show. Great yeah, show. I think that was an impression. Yeah. Anyway, too much TV talk. All right, one one more. What do you got? 
So this is The Way I Heard It with Mike Rowe. My friend. Really? Yeah, Mike oh, and I have known each other man. for many years. When I moved to San Francisco, this is a funny story. When I moved to San Francisco, I took over a morning show that needed another co-host. Right. And... And he's from here. He was here. And they were actually just trying to, they were pitching Mike to come on our show just to, just to plug something. Right. And I was like, I'm only having people on the show right now to try out as co-hosts. And I, if he's not interested in that, then I'm not going to book him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, a few weeks later, Mike, Mike and I, I don't know, we meet somewhere. And we end up becoming buddies. And we, we go out and have beers after work because he worked at CBS and worked in the same thing. But his producer kept telling the story of how I refused to book Mike Rowe. On on the and like like got like like this whole thing about this new guy from New York's a real asshole and won't book <laughs> anybody and he doesn't want to have Mike Rowe on and, and meanwhile I was like Mike and her like yeah Mike can come on anytime right. it's just not not during that time period but uh, he's he is everything you see Mike Rowe on TV is Mike Rowe in person that's why I feel so attracted to the work that he does because I feel like he's so genuine about everything that he puts out yeah he he is he is his brand I cannot stress that enough to anybody that that Mike Rowe is Mike Rowe that's the guy you see all the time of course now that he's all big and famous I don't see him very often <laughs> uh, and I don't I don't <laughs> I don't drink anymore so I don't go to the same he's still he'll still like pop up at the pub that we used to go to but um, but I know like if I need something I can hit him up he's a great guy yeah and, and he's very smart and his podcast is really great it ranges from a lot of things but history is one of the main things and he also has a great voice and he's wick- he's wicked smart with a great voice god yeah. damn it mike Rowe. <laughs> i want to be you let's check it out a tradition that began with a misprint in a sears advertisement over 60 years ago an advertisement that invited children to call santa claus on a number that rang a red telephone on the desk of a colonel named Harry Shoup, a colonel who back in 1955 spent much of his time at work staring at the map on a large plexiglass panel, specifically at the North Pole, where the nuclear warheads from Russia would first appear on their way towards America. God, he's good. He's so good. And I, I remember when I started, when we started Stitcher, I, I remember trying to talk to Mike about a podcast because I just thought he was perfect for a right. podcast. And then eventually right. he did. I, right. Of course I was right. <laughs> Dude, I'm right about everything oh, podcast wait. related. Just <laughs> there we go. That's the... Basically, that's folks, the <laughs> if you want to know everything about everything, follow me on LinkedIn I, and uh, follow me on Facebook and Twitter at uh, Matty Stout, M-A-T-T-Y-S-T-A-U-D-T. That's, that's how you do it. And that's how you get smart. Yeah. Okay. All right. You're lucky to work with me. Oh my you God! Are you hear this, people? <laughs> You're so lucky to work with me. <laughs> Give me my headphones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to Access Podcast. This is brought to you by Zanya De Alves. Did I get it right? Yeah, actually. I did. Whoa. I only do it with the British accent. Whoa. I can only do it when I'm doing. Old-timey woman British accent. Uh, Engineers David Williams and Horace Wong. Artwork by Dalton Runberg. Music composed by Casey Franco. Special thanks to the podcast godfather of uh, iHeartRadio, Chris Peterson. Don Parker, my friend, and Katie Wilcox, my friend and bosses at iHeartRadio. Thank you. Follow us on Facebook, Access Podcast. Follow me, as I said, at Maddie Stout, S-T-A-U-D as in dog, T as in Tom. And download the iHeartRadio app, everybody, so you can check out all of the podcasts. Everything we talk about is available on the iHeartRadio app. And let me just do a little plug for iHeart. 
Mm. Not that I do don't do them anyway. Tell him. But if you want to want one app that you can make music playlists, listen to your live radio stations and your podcasts. All in one place. So you don't have to flip around from flippity-do from it's to do. You don't have to do that. There's no flippity-do with iHeart. You can just put it in there. And I got Apple Play in my car, so I just like, eh, the Apple thing. It's really there good. Go. There you go, folks. Check it out. Uh, Z, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Next week, we're going to have a couple radio folks on. We are. They're exciting. They're fun. Carla Marie and Anthony. They're young. They're pretty. They're way too pretty for, <laughs> for radio. But we'll talk to them next week. See ya.